0: Alright, what a joy it is to be back here with you guys again today. I can vouch for Larry. Those howler monkeys are annoying. We were there a couple years ago and I remember them. We were headed back, I think, to the airport, leaving, and we ran over one on the road. And it felt like vengeance against what they had been doing to us all week with their noise. So um, I know that has to be tough. Um, And the walls are not soundproof there, so he's definitely hearing them. Could you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15? Luke chapter 15. I'm going to be going over a pretty popular passage of Scripture talking about the parable of the prodigal son. Um, and I have titled the sermon today, Further Insights into the Father's Love. Um, so, I do believe that the main point of this passage or this parable is the older brother. Okay? Okay? But I'm not going to talk about the older brother today. I'm going to talk about the, the prodigal son um, and how the father loves. So the goal for us today is, upon reading scripture, uh, to be overwhelmingly encouraged by the father's love for us and then go and show that love to those around us to serve him more, to be motivated to do that. Um, because the person who, uh, who God loves much um, is because they see how he loves them much. Um, and they're going to go and then love much to those around them. So that's the goal for today, and, and I, I pray that happens. So before we get started, I need God, and you need God to help us. So we must, we must go to him. Father, it's amazing that we even get to call you that, that you are our Heavenly Father, that you love us so much that you would give the Son for us. Um, so let us never move past that. Let us not neglect that. Let it be uh, penetrating to our hearts. Um, And you love us so much that you've given us your word to reveal to us who you are um, and what you've done for us. So help us now as we read it. Open the eyes of our hearts. Enlighten them so that we can know the hope to which you've called us. So that we can know the, the glorious inheritance that we have through the riches of your kindness and grace. And so that we can see the immeasurable greatness of your power. Help all those things come to us now as we read your word. Uh, It's in your son's name that we can pray this. Amen. All right, Luke 15. Like I said, it's a familiar passage of scripture. So I want us to fight to not zone out or to think we have it all memorized or known, right? Um, I think there's something for us to glean in every passage of scripture, no matter how well we know it. So. Uh, there's three parables here. You have uh, all three parables talking about something or someone that is lost. So you have the parable of the lost sheep at the beginning of chapter 15. You have the parable of the lost coin that seconds it. And then it climaxes with this parable of the prodigal or lost son. Um, and so as we seek to see the father's love, we've got to come to grips right away. We've got to shoot straight right off the bat that we are or were this prodigal son. When he ta- talks about this parable, that's us, and the Father is God, the Father, okay? So we have to uh, be aware of that right away. Um, so throughout this account, you have the condition and determination of the Son, you have the Son's proposal to the Father, and then you have the Father's reaction. That's kind of the formula it follows, uh, so to speak. So let's, let's just jump right in. Uh, I want you guys to follow along with me. I'm not making this up, it's coming from the Bible here, so... So we know right off the bat, the father has two sons, and the younger one is basically fed up with his current living situation, and he wants out. Um, And he's asking for his inheritance, which is supposed to be, in this culture, promised to him at a later time, upon the death of the father. But he wants it now. He wants his in advance um, so that he can go away. And really, this is a shameful thing to do. It's disrespectful, since he wanted to leave with this inheritance And we know how it ends up, but he wanted to spend it shamefully, uh, squander it, and live recklessly. Um, So notice the son went into a faraway country to do this. He's not going down to the street to the next town where an aunt or an uncle or a friend could tell on him, right? Or at least see him. You guys have been there before, right? If you wanted to do something bad when you were younger, you wanted to go to a place where your parents weren't going to be, right? Or someone that you knew wasn't going to be. Um, So he's doing the same thing. He goes to a faraway country, and that will be more important as we end this parable. Um, He goes away to live recklessly, which honestly is just revealing what his desires were all along. It's showing what his character was like, what his heart was like. It wanted nothing to do with what the Father was teaching him. He wanted to go live his own way. So we continue, verses 14 through 16. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So this is the wrong time to be in need. So as as he spends all of his... His inheritance, he spends everything it says. There comes a famine in that country. Okay, so he's really in a bad spot. It's really to show the utter destitution apart from his father. Okay, he's without his father, he's destitute, he's now in the pig pen. He hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. And he's feeding the pigs, and he's so hungry, he's such in need, that he is desiring to eat the food that he's feeding the pigs with. Okay, which is probably disgusting, I'm assuming. I've never fed pigs, but I imagine you don't give them um, steak and potatoes, I assume, right? So, uh, he's in trouble, he's got no one to blame but himself in this moment. His sin was great, it was massive, and now the shame and guilt of all that sin, he's feeling... It's, uh, it's like a cherry on top of this mountain of sin that he is uh, involved in. And like I said, he gets this job feeding pigs. Um, this is just to show he's absolutely lost uh, apart from the Father. And remember, back to what I said at the beginning, we were this son. If, if we're in Christ, this is a past tense version of us. If you're not, this is you currently. So, it leads him to a pig pen. He's puffed up with pride, thinking that he could have done it on his own. His, his way was best. In other words, his life is coming to a crashing halt here, and it leaves him with a mess that is too great for himself to clean up. Uh, his sin is too great for himself to do something about it. So, let's keep reading. Verses 17 through 19. But when he came to himself, he said... How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Interesting here, interesting passage. Um, He came to himself. He had come to his senses, and he begins to plan this proposal to his father, right? Um, he's, he's kind of, what I like about this is uh, he's recognizing his sinfulness. He recognizes his need for the father, and then he starts, you know, uh, drumming up a, a speech inside of his head. Starts this inner dialogue with like, oh, here's what I'm going to say. I think this will work. I think I've blown it as a son, but maybe if he, if, I, if he can take me back as one of his servants, that'll be good enough, right? I think he might do that. I mean, I lived with him for a long time. I know what he's like. He's got to at least get me back as a servant, right? He's starting this inner dialogue, trying to rehearse his speech. Um, and he's saying all these things, and, he, and he's trying to work up the guts to say this. And I think we can resonate with this. I think we've been here. I was actually here not too long ago. We were playing football with the youth in the front yard of the church, and there was an event going on. There's cars lined up. And I punted a ball straight up into the air, recklessly. And it lands and it breaks the mirror off one of the cars in the driveway. Um, and I knew who car, whose car it was. So here I, I as a 23-year-old at the time, was trying to rehearse a speech in my head to say to this person about breaking their mirror. I felt like I was a kid again. It was really nostalgic, like I had just broken a window as an 8-year-old at my neighbor's house with a ball or something, right? So I was, I was rehearsing the speech to go talk to them, and it reminded me of when I was a child. But... Anyway, this is kind of what he's doing here. He's having this inner dialogue with himself, rehearsing this speech, getting the guts, working up the guts to go say this to his father. So finally, he's ready to make this long journey home. Remember, he's hungry, he's in big need here, and he went far away. Okay, so there's a long journey home, and he's famished, and he's in need. He's weak. Uh, so he's going back home to repent and see if there's any chance of, of being taken back in. And, and I say that because it says in the text here, he came to himself. Um, and he's saying, I have sinned against heaven and before the Father. So he's, he's recognizing his sinfulness. And at the same time, he's recognizing his need for the Father there. Okay? Remember, this is a parable, but we're drawing principles and applications from it. So he, uh, he's ready just already shooting just to be a a servant. That's what he's aiming for here. So he's probably not very confident that he's going to get a nice welcome when he gets back. And so here, when we get to verse 20, we are starting to see the Father's love is going to become very real and very highlighted in these passages. So I'm going to finish this passage here, 20 through 24, and then I want to give three insights from this text and the overarching, overwhelming theme of God in the Bible Um, to show how his love is for us. And then I want to give one challenge after that. So, we get to verse 20 of chapter 15. And this is what it says. And he arose and came to his father. So he did exactly what he said he was going to do. He rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. There's the speech he's rehearsed. He had it down pat, right? Verse 22. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. This section is amazing. um, Because again, we were, are the son. And God the father is the father here. This is why Jesus is saying this parable. He's he's using it to symbolize something better and something greater. So you have the son who has literally only done wrong to the father since he's left. He's made an awful name for himself. You have to think he he lived recklessly in this faraway country. So this, the name of that family is probably just uh, decimated in that country. They probably think very ill of this family um, for how the son lived, right? So he's done that. He's also depleted the family of at least one third of their resources. Remember, the father split the resources, the inheritance, and he spent it all. Okay, so he's depleted them of that, and I'm sure they're not easily won back. Big sack, uh, a, a big mess up there. Um, and he's disgraced the home. He, he left the father and the elder brother to do all the work that's required on the land that they have and whatever that means. But he's left the, he's left the family, um, which I'm, in this culture especially is very big help uh, to his family. So he's approaching home, and he's got the speech in hand, probably. he, he Maybe he wrote it down on a piece of papyrus or something, right? And, he, and he's ready to say this before the father. Maybe he even wrote down some of his specific sins of which he did. Uh, partying, uh, drunkenness, um, all this different stuff. Living recklessly. Maybe he did. I don't know. And as he's a long way off, the father sees him. And I, and I love this. It reminds me. I, I play a game. I'm weird. I play a game inside my head. Whenever Sophia and I go to like a public place. We were in an airport not too long ago. And we both used the bathroom. And then I kind of went far off. And I was waiting for her to come out of the bathroom. And I love to f- find her in the crowd. And know that's her. Because I, I have pride myself. And I'm able to recognize. Even if she has her back to me. The way she walks and, and everything. I can I can know that's her. Even in, a, in the midst of a big crowd. The father in the same way. Sees his son a long way off. And he knows that's him. It says... The father sees him from a long way off and felt compassion. That's his immediate response. So the son is famished. He's, he's limping, probably. He's just absolutely weak. He's in dire need, um, probably medically as well. And he looks up and he sees the father running to him, which I might add, again, in this culture, the father doesn't run. That's a shameful thing to do, right? And he's old. He's old and... in you know you know how it is when you get older and you can't run anymore. So he looks up and he sees the father. The father's running to him, and, and the son, expecting probably a punch in the face, is kissed. The son, who's expecting to be pushed to the ground, is embraced in a hug. The son who's expecting hatred and anger gets compassion and love. That's insane. That the father would do that. So I imagine it went something. Son pushes him away. He's wiping tears and he's ready. No, I'm going to say this speech because I wrote it out, right? And he says it before. I have, I have sinned against you. I, I, I shouldn't even be called your son anymore. Can you just please take me back as a servant? That's all I want. I just want to be back here. I need you so bad. I needed you then and I, and I ruined it and now I'm back. And I recognize what I've done is wrong and I need you. So the son starts to hear shouts. Bring out the best robe. Bring the ring for his finger. Bring the shoes for his feet. Kill the fattened calf that we've been waiting all this time for. And let's have a feast. Let's celebrate because this is my son. He was dead, but he's alive now. He was lost, but now he's found. And the joy of the father is so great. And I can't believe it as I read this. Because everything the son deserved, he didn't get. Right? Everything he deserved, which was, you know... Um, excommunication from the family uh, probably physical harm He, he didn't get any of that and everything he didn't deserve he got he got the best robe he got a ring for his finger he got shoes on his feet he got a feast and the fattened calf to be killed to celebrate his return home so again as I see this we are the son and the father is the father and this is amazing. So I have three applications that I want to draw from this text and from the rest of the Bible real quick about how the Father loves. Because I think a lot of us get into the mindset that God, if we are in Christ, now this is for us that are saved, we've put our faith in Christ, we've repented of our sin, like I think the Son does here when he comes to his senses and repents to his Father. I think that's you know, a symbolism of, of being saved. Um, If we are in Christ, we have this tendency in our sinfulness to think, God is just waiting for me to mess up. God is just always mad at me um, and, and ready to punish me for my sin. When that's not the truth because someone was punished for our sin. It wasn't us. Yes, exactly. So there's three applications I want to draw. First off, the Father holds no grudge. So we see in this parable, the son repents of his sin, sees his need for the father, and when he comes home, expecting to be forsaken, he's forgiven. He's expecting to be forsaken, yet he's forgiven. If we are in Christ, this is how the father loves us as well. I'm gonna, Hopefully you guys can see that. If not, I'm just going to read it. This is from Ephesians 4, 31-32. It says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Okay? If you are in Christ, God in Christ forgave you of your sin. He's forgiven you. And when this happens, He sees you as a son or as a daughter instead of a stranger, an alien, an enemy. So here's Romans 8, 13-17. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you... But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. If you're saved, if you're in Christ, you are led by the Spirit of God, which means, by implication in this verse, it tells us we are sons, daughters of God. Keep going here. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. I I think this is an interesting parallel. You didn't receive the spirit of... Servantship, which is what the son wanted, right? He wanted to be a servant, a slave. You didn't receive that when you're in Christ. When you repent of your sin and and acknowledge what Christ has done for you, that's not what you get. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. The the son says, I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore. That's not what God says here. That's not what the Father says. Um, You receive the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Any time that we pray and we say "Father" at the beginning of it, we're allowed to, because we've been adopted by Him. because of His son. Verse 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. So there we have Romans 8:13 through17, "When we are a son or daughter of the Father, which is purchased by what Christ did for us, there is no grudge holding over sin um, because the sacrifice to make us a son or daughter is once and for all. So you see that the Father runs and feels compassion. He's not immediately holding a grudge about it. In fact, we would expect that after this whole you know, embracing was over, all right, let's take you back into the house and now we're going to talk about your punishment, right? We would expect that. But that's not what happens either. He's feasting at this. Let's look at two more verses real quick on this point. Hebrews 10.10. So this is once and for all, right? This this taking care of our sin. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. This happened once and it happened for all time. And then because of that, Hebrews 8.12. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. That's God talking. I will remember their sins no more. You can't hold a grudge against someone if you don't remember their sins anymore, right? And, and we're not like saying, oh, God's not omniscient anymore because he can't remember the sins. That means he doesn't know them. No, he chooses to, to put them away because they were placed on Christ on the cross. Um, and this is actually a quote from Jeremiah 31 uh, talking about the new covenant, uh, what it means for us as believers uh, to put our faith in Christ. And I think we see this here in, in the parable. We come to God with our sin saying, listen, I am not worthy to be called your son or your daughter anymore. That's how we feel, right? We, I think I can say that for all of us. That we, we feel that way when we come to God. When we sin for the 9,000th time on the same thing and we're asking for forgiveness, we're thinking, I am not worthy to be called your son or daughter anymore. Make me a servant, a slave instead. But the Father turns back to us and says, what sin? What wrong? I remember it no more. I've placed it on the son to make you my son. Right? And that's what God does for us. So that's number one. The father holds no grudges. Number two, the father is zealous to feel compassion. So here comes the son, burdened by the consequences of his actions. Right? But the father first feels compassion. (laughs) It's okay, Jade he's burdened by the consequences of his actions yet the father first feels compassion let's look at a couple more verses here Psalm 103.13 this is an interesting parallel, ready? as a father shows compassion to his children so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him very interesting parallel as we're talking about the parable of a father and a son This is God. This is God ready to show compassion. He is zealous. He wants to. He desires to show compassion to His children. Okay? To those who fear Him, it says. Psalm 86.15 says, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The Father has every right to not be slow to anger, to be quick to anger when it comes to our sins, when it comes to our wrongs. He has every right to do that. Yet He doesn't. He's slow to anger. He abounds in steadfast love. It's overflowing, right? It's it's coming out of him. It's what he loves to do. He loves to feel compassion for those that love him. And also with his faithfulness. The father didn't give up. It kind of maybe implies, since he saw him from a long way off, that he was constantly looking for his son to return, right? And he is quick to feel compassion immediately. It's the very next line in the verse. And he runs to him. The Father is not angry at us as we tend to think, even when we mess it all up. He is zealous to show compassion, and he is running with arms wide open, even when we are a long way off. And that happens quite a bit, right? We get a long way off. We're sinners. We we do this all the time. Wretched people we are. Yet the Father is there, arms wide open. Not ready to push us on the ground. Not ready to give us a punch in the face that we may need it sometimes, right? No. To embrace. To kiss. To welcome. To celebrate with us. It's insane, the love that he has. And And I hope, as you see this, and I hope, I hope this is the truth, that you are not seeing God just excusing our sin, right? We should not go through life excusing our sin because, oh, God loves me, and and he's going to take care of it, and he's going to forgive me. Though that may be true, we're told many times in Scripture to hate our sin. It is a dangerous thing for us to get near to. Um, Sin, James says in in the first chapter of his letter, that uh, sin, uh, or no, desire produces sin. Sin then produces death, right, when it's fully grown. It births death. So we, I don't want us to see that our sin is bad. It's the only thing that ever separates us from God. It separates sinners from a holy God, and, and so it should. But since Jesus died as our substitute, then we are not seen as the lost daughter anymore. We're not seen as the dead son, right? Uh, We're not seen like that. We're alive and we're found, and this is how the Father sees us. So there's a a change that takes place when uh, Jesus takes our sins and then gives us His righteousness. He then sees us as righteousness. the, The righteousness of Christ we're clothed in. We don't deserve that, but that's how He sees us. So we're seen as a son. We're seen as a daughter. And God is ready. The Father is ready to show compassion to his children. He loves to do that like we saw in those verses there. So that's number two there. And number three is the Father is rejoicing over us. Now this one's a little bit harder to recognize and for us to see in our lives because we tend to downplay God's love in our lives. Um, So after the hug, after the embrace, we see this getting taken further. Uh, The compassion, the joy of the Father gets taken further after that. Like I said, we're expecting, all right, we're going to get the the punishment list out and and all the consequences uh, that take place because of what he's done. That's not what happens. Uh, So the the hug and the kiss and the nice words were great, um, but we're ready to see something else happen. But the Father is overjoyed to celebrate this return. So like I said, he's killing the fattened calf that we saw here at the end. He's putting on the best robe. He is getting a ring for his finger, shoes for his feet. The return of the Son has filled the Father with joy. Now look at this verse in the book Zephaniah. That's a real book of the Bible, just so you know. Okay, We don't go there very often, but it's really in there. Zephaniah 3.17. This is what it says. God talking about his people. okay, And those that, those that love him. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. God says that about us, his children. That's insane. He's going to rejoice over us with gladness. He's going to quiet us by his love. And then he's going to exalt over us with loud singing. And that's probably the most beautiful singing we'll ever hear one day when we do hear it. So we're picturing this kind of love here in this parable. This is what we see. This is how the father loves his children. Um, and I also think that this aspect here um, of, of the celebration, the feast, all this stuff is kind of pointing to our eventual and final welcome home. Uh, so, so one day when we die... Um, or if Christ returns, whichever happens first, there is going to be something that Revelation calls, Reve- Revelation 19 calls, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Okay? Where this union between Christ, the husband, and the church, believers, right? not just this church, but the church globally, are united in him in a perfect marital, covenantal union. Not physically, spiritually, right? I just preached about this a couple weeks ago at our church, talking about the picture of marriage is just a greater picture of a perfect relationship that we will have one day with Christ. And so you have Christ the husband and the church the bride. Anyway, it all happens um, in uh, Revelation chapter 19. It's called the marriage supper of the lamb. It's a supper, so I assume it will have food, like they're going to have here, a fattened calf, right? He's killing it. Um, And it also says that the people will be clothed with fine linens. And I can't help but see the parallels again. What did the father get for the son? He got him the best robe, right? He's clothing him as well. He got him shoes for his feet, and he got him a ring for his finger. So I see the parallels here, and we see this with with the father treating his children. Um, So as as I look at this passage, three things, and there's probably way more in here that's just stuck out to me, is that the father's not holding a grudge. And just like us in our life, He does not hold a grudge over our sins. He's not constantly bringing them back up. When we think and dwell on our sins, this is Satan tempting us. And we often want to run to that like, man, I'm such a terrible person. Listen, you are. You're right in that. But because of what Christ has done for us, He says, I will remember your sins no more. So there's no grudge holding. There's no grudge holding like we tend to do with our relationships, right? We like to use that as ammunition when it comes to a fight between you and your spouse or between you and a friend or a family member. Remember that thing you did three years ago? Like, we like to bring those things up. But God does not do that with our sin. It's no more. And He sees us as a son or daughter. So there's no grudge holding. Uh, The second one is the father is zealous to feel compassion. So that's the first thing he wants to do with his children. That's the very first thing he wants to do is feel compassion. Just like here. The son was a long way off. He recognizes him, and the first thing he feels is compassion. Not like, "Oh that dumb son of mine." Here he comes back, and he's probably going to want, you know, some of my money again to go spend it like he has been. It's not what he's feeling. He's ready to feel compassion. He wants to feel compassion. And this is how God feels about his children. If that's you today, that's how God feels about you. And that's incredible, because we don't deserve that. Not one bit. And then number three was the father is rejoicing over us. And we saw that with the the Zephaniah passage. And we see that with the feast here, he's overjoyed that the son has come home. And he is rejoicing that a son that was once dead, like we were spiritually, right? Ephesians says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. A son that was once dead is now made alive in Christ. A daughter that was once lost is now found. And so he's rejoicing over that. And he's saying, everybody, rejoice with me. We're going to have a feast. And we know if we were to continue on, there's one that didn't want to rejoice. And I think that's why Jesus had this parable out here. Because the immediate context is he's speaking to the Pharisees. And he's showing them who they are. And they can often be the older brother. So I encourage you as you, as you go home today, read that last section there. And, and pray that that's not you. <laughs> That you're not the older brother saying, I can't believe this guy coming home and he gets all this. I've never gotten any of that. And here I've been so faithful to my father. I've kept every law. I've kept every ordinance. And here he's getting all this stuff and I'm not. Can you believe that? So he's saying that about the Pharisees. And I pray that's not us. Because we can often easily slip into that mindset. And not be overjoyed that the son has come home. So these three insights on the father's love... Uh, point us to love and adore the Father even more, okay? Uh, so here's the challenge. We, we love God, but we only love God because He first loved us. That's what First John 4.19 says. We love because He first loved us. And we see that here. And so when we see God's love, it is going to motivate and drive us to love and serve and honor and glorify Him all the more. We see things, we see passages like this, and we can't help but want to love the Father. Like, how can He love me this much? The least I can do is give Him my life, right? And so, these three points are going to help us love Him all the more. So, especially when we see His love towards us, it's drawing us to love and adore and worship and glorify Him. Another point I want to say in this passage, the Son is feeding the pigs, right? And he's drawing up his speech. But in that, it's implied that he's seen he needs the Father. So it was the Father's love initially, before he had even left, that is now drawing him back to the Father. You see that? That's exactly what God does with us. We, we see our need for God and his love towards us and what he's done with his Son on the cross for our sake. And it draws us back to him. So even now, still, it's doing that. Um, so I, I'm honestly speechless when it comes to pondering how deep the father's love is for sinners like you and me and i don't think we'll ever understand it totally um until one day when we're with him and even then i'm not even sure if we'll still be able to grasp the depths of the father's love for us it's insane and and it's not only just the depths it's the depths of which he went to make us a son or daughter uh giving up his son. So when we messed it up, when we went astray, when we left for a faraway country, when we were reckless with our lives with no regard, yet he drew us back in, back to him with love and compassion to make enemies his sons and daughters. And that's what it says in Romans. Um, So today I want us to, as we leave here, meditate on this love um, so that we're driven to honor and glorify and serve him all the more. So that we're driven to show this love to those around us. to to our spouses, to our family, to our friends, to strangers, to even enemies. God calls us to love our enemies too, and that's difficult. Um, Sometimes, I don't know why, I don't know if this is just me, sometimes it it feels like it's hardest to love our family members, those closest to us. Sometimes it feels that way. Um, But here you have a father and son relationship, pretty close And he shows only but compassion to him. So we take the love the Father shows us and it motivates us to show it to others around us. Um, Because this is what we need to do. This is what we're called to do. To make him known amongst everyone we come into contact with. And we can do that by showing them his love. And we most do that by sharing the gospel. And not having the gospel just said, although that is the most important thing. But having the actions that go alongside of it, right? And so we want to emulate or imitate what we see here, what the Father has done with the Son. Let me end with this verse in Revelation and then I'll, I'll pray for us. It says this, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. It would be easy for us to make ourselves the main character of the story, but it, it's not it always will be the Father, right? Because He's worthy to receive glory and honor, and power. He created all things. By their will, they existed. And He loves them. And He's shown that to us. So let me pray for us um, as we leave here today. Father, You are so good. Uh, we don't deserve Your love. We don't deserve Your grace. We don't deserve Your mercy, Your kindness. Your compassion, we don't deserve it, but you give it to us so freely, you lavish it upon us with all wisdom and insight. Uh, So thank you, Lord. Thank you for that. Thank you for your son, and thank you for making us sons and daughters. Uh, Help us to be motivated by your love. Help us to meditate, ponder it, uh, to go back to your word, to read it over and over and over and over again, and, and ponder how deep your love is for us, God. Um, and then to go show that, to, to know you, and then to go make you known uh, to everyone around us. We love you. It's in your Son's name that we pray this. Amen. I'm reminded that at the beginning of that song it says that every uh, tongue will confess and every knee will bow in yes. the name of Jesus. Some will be made to, and some will do it willingly. And I hope that you will do it willingly. So let's pray as we end here today. Uh, thank you for this time. Thank you for this church and the ministry that you have been doing here in this community. Uh, thank you for your word that reveals you. Help us to get into it every day, uh, seeking to know you more, seeking to honor you, seeking to find your love and then show it to those around us. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen.